If you have your Bibles today, we're going to open them to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. And we're continuing, as you probably know, on our theme of prayer. We've been asking people to pray daily for our church. I hope you've been doing that. We've been asking folks to follow along in the Sunday school lessons each week that are all on prayer. We have some wonderful study guides that I hope you've been able to use. We, as normal, had a little glitch or two in getting all that we needed here. Uh, but I hope that it's been very beneficial to you and encourage you to pray more. If you haven't had a regular prayer time, I hope you've learned to have a regular prayer time through this emphasis. And this morning, I just want to give you another kind of an encouragement to pray and to keep on praying. Follow with me, if you will. This is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as Matthew puts it all together. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Amen. This is God's word. Pray with me if you will. Our Father, we thank you for the time we've already been able to have here this morning in prayer the times we've had in worship through songs and greetings. And thank you, Lord, for giving us this place where we can gather on a regular basis to worship. Lord, you've been faithful through the years to provide for Highland Park Baptist Church, answering many prayers, supplying our needs, letting us see your hand at work. And Lord, we pray that you will encourage us today even to be more diligent in prayer and more persistent in prayer. We pray this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, children can be taught to pray. Any of you parents ever teach your children how to pray? Anybody? Yeah. My parents taught me an awful prayer. It was awful. Here's, what it, here's how it went. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And here's the, here's the awful part. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take it. Here they want me to go to sleep after I'd been thinking about dying <laughs> in my sleep. But somehow I didn't think about that too much. And, and I don't know how long it was, but for a long time that was my nighttime prayer. And I, I don't think it did me any bad things. Uh, hopefully it didn't do your children any bad things if you taught them that prayer. But sometimes children say the truth in their prayers. I have a collection of some children's prayers that were actually prayed by children and written out. I want to share a couple of those with you. Here's one from Debbie, who's age seven. Debbie prayed, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. <laughs> is that honest or what? That's just the truth, isn't it? Here's one from Angela, who's age eight. Dear God, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. Again, pretty honest. Here's a prayer from Hank, who is age seven. Thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. 
That's pretty, pretty common, isn't it? Here's another one from David, age seven. Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you have one of your angels tell my father? Thank you. <laughs> and, and one last one from Diane, who is eight. She says, dear God, I'm saying my prayers for me and my brother Billy because Billy is six months old and he can't do anything but sleep and wet his diapers. <laughs> Diane, age eight. How much more encouragement do we need to pray than listening to the prayers of children and reading these verses in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he teaches us many things about prayer? There are three things he tells us in this passage, and actually they are commands. If you look at it grammatically in, in the Greek language, if you look at it grammatically in the English language, it says to ask, to seek, and to knock. But if you took it literally from the Greek language, it could also be translated like this, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Now, what is he teaching us in this command? He's teaching us one big lesson, to be persistent in praying. Now, that may seem strange to us because you think, well, God already knows what we need before we ask him. And so we feel confident and free to ask God for what we need or what we want or what we think is the right thing to ask for. And then he says, just keep on doing it. And how long should you do it? Let me add a little postscript. Keep on asking, seeking, and knocking until you get the answer. Now, you may say, but I've asked God for a lot of things in the past, and he didn't give them to me. I've prayed diligently, and I'm still praying for some things to happen, but I haven't seen the answers to those prayers yet. What am I supposed to do? Let me ask you to check yourself on three conditions that Jesus lays out very clearly in his teaching on prayer in other places, especially in the Gospel of John. And these three conditions are kind of like guidelines. They're kind of like, here's the way you pray. Here's the way you ask, you seek, and you knock. Number one is, he wants us to ask according to his will. According to his will. Now, here's how this works. When you know someone for a long period of time, you kind of get to know about that person. The things they like, the things they don't like. And if you hear someone that you know ask for something or start to say something and you hear what they say or do something and you see what they do and you think, wait a minute, that's not right. You know that person through experience, you know that person, you know their character, you know their personality, and you can immediately see that's not according to reality for that person. That's kind of like what it means to ask in Jesus' name. I mean, can you imagine my wife and many of you know her pretty well, can you imagine my wife asking somebody for a cigarette? Man, that'd be so far out of character for her. And, and why would not you um, imagine, does she ever get up on a stump and preach about cigarettes? She doesn't do that. She, she's not offended by people who do smoke cigarettes. I mean, it, it doesn't make her uh, any uh, bit of a shame that she's around people when they smoke cigarettes. No, no, but it's not her to smoke a cigarette. So why would I pray in Libby's name for cigarettes? It's silly, isn't it? So here's the deal. When you get to know God's character, when you get to know God's personality, you understand when you pray in his name, you're asking for the thing that he would say or he would do or he would want you to ask for. Okay? That's one of the conditions for prayer. That's one of the things Jesus said, ask for them in my 
name. Here's the second prayer condition he gives us. We must ask in faith. Jesus said, whatever you ask for in faith, believing, it'll be done for you. What, what does that mean? Remember what faith is. Faith means to believe what God says, to act on what God says, and not what we feel or what we think or what other people say, but on what God says. So you see, when he says to us, pray and ask, and, and whatever you ask for, believing, what do you believe? Well, you believe it's God's will, or you want it to be God's will. You hope it is God's will. It's not, it's not apart from his character. It's not something outside his normal action and activity. And you believe, yes, I believe, God, this is what you want me to have. And until you show me differently, I'm going to keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And then here's the third thing is a condition for prayer that he gives us. We must ask with desire for his will to be done. And we see that not only in the Lord's Prayer. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then look at the other bookend. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified, and what did he pray? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, what did he say? Thy will, not my will. And so you see, when you pray just for what you want for yourself, you cannot expect an answer of yes. We say, Lord, I really want this, I really desire this, I pray for this, but, but in all things, I want your will to be done. I know it was kind of hard for some of you yesterday when you saw Carolina playing Florida and it looked like for a little while they might have had a chance to win. And, you know, sometimes when your team is playing, you want to pray, God, help them to win. God, help them to win. I don't know about that. I'm not going to get involved with that. You didn't have to pray too hard for Clemson yesterday, did you? But you see, our prayer must not be couched in just what I want for me, just for my own delight and pleasure. My prayer must be, God, what would be in keeping with your character and your personality? Uh, what would you do in this situation? And I must truly believe that God is there, that he hears, that he's concerned. We looked at that last week. And then I must pray according to his will, but desiring his will in all things. Now, look again at our scripture text, ask, seek, and knock. And then Jesus said, when you ask, you will receive. When you seek, you will Fine. When you knock, doors will be open. Why is that so? Let me let you in on a secret that some people may have a hard time fathoming. God delights in answering the prayers of his children. Some of you as parents remember what it was like at your house when your children were small and it came Christmas morning. You remember those days? And you sat and you just looked at your kids opening their presents and you thought to yourself, I was able to give them what I, I believe they wanted and they opened the presents and they're delighted and they're happy. How'd that make you feel? Now, if you were Scrooge, you might have said, oh, I spent too much money on that. But most of the time when we as parents give good gifts to our children and we see they like it and enjoy it and it's something that will bring them pleasure in their life, it makes us feel pretty good, doesn't it? I remember those nights before Christmas, staying up late and putting things together and getting frustrated and hitting your thumbnail with a hammer and driving a screwdriver into the palm of your hand and thinking to yourself, I'll never do this again. <laughs> But on Christmas morning, it was all worth it because we saw the delight 
in their eyes. How much more does our Heavenly Father delight to give you, his children, good things, things that they've asked for and wanted and desired, and things they've persisted in in prayer? That's the heart of our Father. God is not angry with you. He is not trying to withhold fun and pleasure from you. He is trying to shape you and form you into the model of Jesus Christ, the image of Jesus Christ. He is working to prepare us for eternity, not just for now. He is working to help us live in the now with a sense of peace and satisfaction. And part of that formula is to answer our prayers. We know, the Bible acknowledges, God already knows what we need before we ask, but some things he will only do in response to prayer. Now, sometimes we preachers make fun of people who have a shopping list for their prayer requests. That's okay. Make a long list. Because nothing is too hard for our God, nothing is too big, nothing is too difficult, nothing is too deep. Now, attached to this teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount as we have it in Matthew is a parable. I think we can understand this parable coming on the tail end of ask and seek and knock. The parable is about a, an earthly father who knows how to give good gifts to his children and if that's so, the obvious teaching is how much more does the Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to His children? Now, keep in mind this. Our Heavenly Father is the ideal Father. The ideal Father. He is the kind of Father we all wish we had. I mean, I had a great dad. I don't have any complaints about my parents. Uh, they weren't perfect. It took me a while to learn that. I mean, I thought I knew it pretty, pretty early in my life, but then later I realized, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. He's not perfect. He's pretty good. But think about the Heavenly Father as the ideal, perfect Heavenly Father. And God always and only will act toward us in accordance with his eternal purposes in mind. You need to know this verse of Scripture. If you don't know it, I'd encourage you to write it down and memorize it. Romans 8, 29. Most of us know Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's 28. And in 29, it says, and those he called, he also foreknew. He also planned for them to become conformed to the image of his son so that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, God has planned all this stuff and to use all these things that happen. Even our own mistakes and even things that people do with malice in their hearts, God uses all things for good to those who love him so that we may be shaped into the image of Jesus. So that Jesus will have many brothers and sisters who are in personality, no, not like Jesus, but in character, images, clones, if you will, of Jesus Christ. So this illustration, this parable is a good one and we need to ask ourselves a question. If we can give to our children good things, if we want to give them good things, if it delights us for, for them to ask us for good things and we can give it to them, how much more will our Father in heaven do the same thing? Now we come to the last verse in this text, verse 12. And I must admit, for an interpreter of Scripture and a preacher of Scripture, this is a difficult verse to fit into prayer. On first glance, I thought, oh, well, that verse goes with the next section. And the more I studied it and the more I read it, I thought, no, it goes with the teaching on prayer. But how does it go with the teaching on prayer? 
And basically what we have in verse 12 is this version of the golden rule. Some of you learned the golden rule. I remember when I was in elementary school, not only did we say the Pledge of Allegiance every day in class, we also recited the Lord's Prayer, and we also recited the golden rule. How many of you did that in school? <laughs> Can't do that anymore, can you? But we did. And the golden rule basically says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, it's interesting how in some religions around the world, they put this golden rule in a negative way. And they say it this way, don't do to anybody anything you don't want them to do to you. That's kind of a negative golden rule, isn't it? But I like it in the positive better. And so we ask ourselves the question, Jesus has encouraged us here with command, ask, seek, knock, you will receive, you will find, you will have the door open. Those are promises and, and, and those are commandments. Then he gives us this illustration of how that works with the Father. And then all of a sudden, he tells us the golden rule all over again. So I saw it, and I prayed, and I looked at the commentaries, and I said, God, what is it you're saying to us about prayer? And here are three things I believe God has given me about this part of this message in this text today. First of all, we live by the golden rule, and we do it as a result of a persistent prayer life. Now follow the reasoning and the logic here. This is not a quid pro quo that our president's being accused of, okay? It's not like saying, okay, God, I promise that I'm going to do to other people what I want them to do to me, and then if I do that, you're going to give me what I've asked for, right? That's a quid pro quo. It doesn't work that way. But you see, when I become a persistent person in prayer, when I persistently seek the Father and ask and knock and, and, and try to find His will and get His will for my life, that does something in my heart. And you see, if I'm just asking for stuff for me that I want to enjoy, if I'm just asking for uh, money, if I'm just asking for things that I think will bring me pleasure, and it, it's really truly a selfish request, then I don't think God should answer that prayer. I don't think God should give me those things. But when I'm seriously seeking his will about all things, especially those immediate things that I'm asking for and, and those long-term term things that I'm, I'm praying for, it does something in me that makes me sensitive to God. And the closer I become in my character to the likeness of Jesus Christ, the more I'm going to act like Jesus Christ. And the more I want to live what the golden rule says. Now, how do you know what to do in a situation in living by the golden rule? You know, it doesn't mean that you're just a, a bleeding heart and, and that you're just so overly emotional that you just try to do everything that it's possible to do. No, you must use discernment. You see, Jesus didn't heal everybody he came across, but he healed many, many people. Jesus didn't solve all the problems of humanity. He gave us the way to solve all the problems, but he didn't instantly change everything. And so as we live our lives day by day, we act the way God would act for the benefit of others without trying to influence the way God treats us by how we treat other people. We simply do what we believe is the right thing to do, the godly thing to do, and whatever the consequences are, it's out of our hands. We're not trying to manipulate God. We're not trying to get something for nothing. I read of a 
a village in Africa that had been reached by the missionaries. And as the villagers began to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, many of them, most of them in fact, turned to the Lord and were saved. And so the missionaries began teaching them about the Christian life. And one of the big things that they taught them was how to pray, have a, a prayer time. And in that little village, it was like a communal thing, and nobody had any privacy. If you've ever been a third world country, you realize that your personal space doesn't belong to you. <laughs> and so these villagers began to seek out a place where they could have quiet time and a private time of prayer daily. And so they would go out into the bush a little ways, and they would make a way for them to kneel and pray, a place where they could kneel and pray, and they would wear a path day by day going out to pray. And over a period of time, as people had their little prayer places all over the surrounding parts of that village, the grass would wear down because they trampled every day to their prayer place. And then if someone was neglectful and they didn't pray as much as they ought to, sometimes the grass would grow up on the path. And a friend might say, pardon me, but uh, the grass is growing over your prayer path. Have any of you let the grass grow over your prayer path lately? It's easy to do, isn't it? If you plan to pray in the morning and you're late for work and you get up and you say, well, I can pray later, later probably won't come. And so we need to be diligent in prayer, and that gives us the freshness and the openness to live by the golden rule. Here's the second thing. As we pray and pray and pray, we reflect the character of our Heavenly Father more and more and more. And that is what it's like to truly be a godly person. Now, you say, I'm not sure I want to be godly. Then I'm not sure you're really saved either. You see, one of the characteristics of a saved person is that they don't want to sin. I'm not saying they will not sin or cannot sin. I'm saying they don't want to sin. You show me somebody who just delights in sinning and they, they live for doing things that are wrong that may give them a moment of pleasure, but, but they're certainly not the will of God, and that person has no compunction about sin, I'm really not sure that person is saved. It's the old story again of catching a fish. Let's say you're fishing in a boat. You're, you're in a boat out in the lake or out in the river fishing somewhere or even out in the ocean. And you hook a fish and you begin to pull it in and it fights against you because it doesn't want to come in. And finally you get the fish in the boat and what does it try to do? It tries to get back out of the boat, doesn't it? The fish doesn't just lay this, oh, well, I'm caught. I'll just lay here and let you kill me and eat me. Not the way a fish acts. I never caught a fish like that. They do the best they can to jump off the hook. They do the best they can to jump out of the boat. And sometimes you're lucky to get them in the boat. Why is that? Fish want to live in the water. That's fish life. And when a Christian gets out of the will of God and gets out of obedience to God and gets into sin, and he, he delights in it and doesn't have any compunction to get away from sin, maybe, maybe they're not really saved. You see, I can't judge that. God knows that. But you see, we can't fool God. We may fool ourselves at times or others, but not God. There's a third thing. We become the answer to the prayer of other people. Have you ever been the answer to somebody's prayer? Have you ever had a time where it seemed like God put it on your heart to do something for somebody else, whether you went and served them in some way or you gave them something or, or just somehow God just put it on your heart and you did it? 
you just might have been the answer to that person's prayer for help. God said, you know, you need to go help this person, and so you go and help. And and you don't understand how it works. You just know you're responding to what you interpret to be the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when you live your life that way and you see a person in need and you do what you should or what you can to help that person, you are doing for them what you would wish somebody would do for you. If you were in that same circumstance, you become the answer to their prayer. Someone said that once we get to heaven... God will show us into a room and he will let us know all the things that we did on earth that we didn't know about on earth that were the answers to other people's prayers. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of look forward to that day. You don't always know on earth who you're helping. It might be an angel unaware. And so God says, we must be determined to keep on asking and seeking and knocking. Some of you know the name of a man named Josh McDowell. I never met Josh in person. I've heard him speak on video, never heard him in person. But I've got some of his books, and Josh has been a great apologist. He came to Christ as a young man in college, and he uh, began to work for Campus Crusade once he became a Christian. He's written some books, great apologist, speaks on college campuses. And when he first became a Christian, he went off to college, he was in college, and he got word that his father had passed away. And he was disturbed, of course, and saddened, but he realized his father was now in heaven because his dad had trusted Christ. And after the funeral, he began to wonder about his mother, if she was a Christian. And Josh said his mother had died several years before, and he had not become a Christian himself when his mother died, and he didn't know if his mother was saved. And it began to bother him that his mother might not be in heaven. Of course, he couldn't do anything about it then. And so here's what he prayed. He says, Lord, this might be an impossible task, but if you could, would you find some way to let me know whether or not my mother was saved, whether or not I can expect to see her in heaven. And so a couple of days passed, and in his despair over his father's death and also not knowing about his mother, he drove out to the ocean, walked out to the end of a pier. He thought he was going to be by himself where he could pray and just contemplate. When he got out to the end of the pier, there was an old woman sitting in a lawn chair fishing. And when he got out to the end of the pier, she greeted him and said, hello, young man. He said, well, hello, how are you? She says, I'm fine. She looked at him and says, are you from around here? He said, no, actually, I'm from a a little town in Michigan. Nobody's ever heard of it. It's, It's a little town called Union. And it's near, and before he could complete what it's near, she said, Battle Creek, right? He said, yeah, Battle Creek. She said, well, I know some people who are from Battle Creek who live here in Southern California. Their name is McDowell. Do you know any of those folks? He's surprised. Yeah, my name is McDowell. He said, my name is Josh. But, oh, he said, I knew your mother. In fact, she's my first cousin. And Josh asked her the question, Did you know if my mother ever had any kind of a religious experience? She said, well, of course I know, because it was on the fourth night of a tent revival in our town when your mother and I went forward and accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Could you imagine an answer to prayer being any simpler? Can you imagine an answer being any more plain than that? What have you been asking God about? What have we been asking him for? 
Have you been praying for lost people that you know to be saved? Have you been asking God to build up our church and strengthen our church, not just numerically, but spiritually? Have you been asking God to give us help in terms of ministering to people in our community and helping them to come to know Jesus? What have you been praying for? Because if we ask and seek and knock persistently, God is going to answer. Let's bow for just a moment right now. I've been praying and asking God to save people in our services. It could be some of you here this morning have never received Christ. Even though you might have joined the church and been baptized, Jesus Christ does not live in your heart. He's not there because you never invited him in. You see, making a profession of faith is a good thing, but if it's just simply not Christ living in you, if it's simply just to do what your parents told you to do or simply to somehow get rid of guilt, it doesn't work. You have to consciously ask Christ to come in and take charge. Surrender your life to him. You can do that today. Even while I'm talking, you can go to God in prayer. You could invite him in to your life to be your Lord, to be your Savior. I've been praying for some folks in our church who are disappointed and discouraged about the church. Things aren't going the way you think they should. Things aren't happening that you thought would happen. And you've been real discouraged about our church. Maybe God is testing you. Maybe there's something you need to do in serving here at the church. Maybe God is giving the answer, but you don't like the answer. Keep praying for our church. Our Father, we ask for your help and guidance today. We ask for you now to, to give us the strength we need to do what we should. For we pray this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to do something this morning before we close the service that I saw on TV yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes God can speak in miraculous ways. And for some reason, I was watching the Penn State-Michigan game. I don't know if any of you saw that game. And it looked like Michigan was making a comeback. It looks like they were going to be able to tie the score in the last two or three minutes of the game. And the quarterback threw a pass. And there was a man right there in the end zone who grabbed the pass but he couldn't hold on to it, and he dropped it. I don't know what happened. I didn't watch any more of the game. And later as I was praying, finishing up for the sermon today, it was like God said to me last night, don't drop the ball, Ron. Don't drop the ball. And I will say that to you this morning. If God's speaking to you this morning about some need in your life, about some commitment you need to make, about some things you might need to change, don't drop the ball. I've been the quarterback. I've tossed it into your hands now it's up to you will you catch it for a touchdown or you drop it and say God I don't I don't want to deal with this right now I'd rather lose the game than than honestly admit whatever's on my heart so I'm going to ask that we sing an invitation song I don't know what's on your heart this morning if you've never trusted Christ and you desire Christ and you're not quite sure what to do why don't you come on up to the front and let me pray with you if you've walked away from God in some fashion, maybe your prayer path is covered with grass, you haven't been praying much, and you want to rededicate your life, come on up to pray or to kneel, or I'll pray with you or for you. We have some deacons who I'm sure will pray with us as well. 
Whatever's on your heart this morning, don't drop the ball. Let God do what he wants to do in your heart.